0: Welcome to Queen Margaret Academy's Higher PE Revision Podcast. This is the first episode of the podcast. Today we're going to be focusing on data collection. My name's Mr Campbell and this is... Mr Oates. And as Mr Campbell said, we're looking at data
1: collection. So we want to think about all four factors. So what we're going to be speaking about today for the physical factors, our our methods of data collection are the standardized fitness testing, the whole game slash general observation schedule specific observation schedule, and for emotional, social and mental, we're going to be looking at teacher coach feedback and questionnaires. So I think it's probably a good, good idea if we start with standardized fitness testing. Mr Campbell, can you just give us a brief description of how to carry out standardized fitness testing?
0: Yeah, so when we are carrying out any sort of data collection, we want to be thinking about who, what, where, when and how we carried it out. We don't want to talk about why we carried it out because we're not explaining it. So when we're carrying out standardised fitness tests, the first thing that we would do is get into pairs. We'd get a standardised fitness test sheet and we'd grab a pencil. The sheet is in, um, this has five tests on it. So we'd have the Illinois Agility Test, the Medicine Ball Throw, the One Rep Max Leg Press, One Rep Max Bench Press and the Sergeant Jump. Next to this, there was a space for us to write our scores for each of our tests and what the national average band was. We worked around each of the tests uh, with one of us completing the tests and the other one measuring, marking and recording. So we had three attempts at each test, writing all of these down and writing our best attempt. Once we had finished our um, standardized fitness testing, we compared our scores to the national averages and wrote whether it was excellent, above average, average, below average or poor. An example of one of the tests that we completed was the sergeant jump. So to complete this test, I stood up straight and side on to the wall Um, with my hand up as high as I could reach my feet were flat on the ground my partner then marked the point where I reached to I then jumped up as high as I could from a standing jump and touched the wall with my partner marking where I touched I then took a metre stick and measured the uh, difference between the two points and wrote this down I did this three times in total
1: So I think it's great That description's excellent. And obviously that's really good for a describe question if you get asked to describe um, my physical method, the data collection. And what's also really good about that is that Mr Campbell spoke in the first person as he was going through that description. So it's important that you do that as well. But obviously we need to know more a bit more about standardised fitness testing than just how to carry it out. That'll help you for a describe question, but if, if we think about the questions for explain, um, evaluate and analyse, we need to understand the benefits and limitations of each of our methods of data collection. So we're going to speak through um, benefits and limitations of standardised fitness testing. So the first benefit that I think uh, for standardised fitness testing is that it's easy to set up and carry out. So. The, the tests that we carry out in standardised fitness testing, like the sit and reach test, and the Illinois agility test, the sergeant jump that Mr. Camel mentioned, the medicine ball throw, they are easy to set up and carry out, so they don't take a lot of time. And also, there's not um, a lot of areas where you could get confused or make mistakes when you carry out this, these tests. So that means that when you get your results, they're more accurate, and therefore, you're more likely to set an accurate um, PDP for your weaknesses.
0: Another reason or another benefit um, to the standardised fitness test is that it clearly identifies your strengths and weaknesses uh, as its quantitative data. So we can see from the standardised fitness test if our scores are average, above average, if they're excellent in comparison to the national band averages, and then we can write down um, exactly our strengths and weaknesses, which will then inform our PDP. Um,
1: The next... The next benefit that I see is that you get a hard copy. So when we complete um our our standardized fitness test and we, we fill out a sheet, um you complete obviously you complete the test three times, you fill out a sheet that shows you what your um strengths and areas of development are. And you also date this. So that's effective for comparison because you can complete these tests under the exact same conditions. So if the the beginning, middle and end of your PDP, you can complete standardized fitness tests in the exact same way. And you've got this hard copy, this sheet, which allows you to look back, make a comparison to see if you've improved. So the real benefit is being able to see if you've improved. If you've improved, then that would motivate you to keep training. If you've not made an improvement, that'll allow you to know you need to make changes to your PDP.
0: Another benefit of the standardized fitness testing is that um We have three attempts at each test, and this allows us to rec- increase the validity so the first time you complete the test, you may not um make me a wee mistake
1: so it could be like, um if I went to do the medicine ball throw and the ball slipped out of my hand just as I was going to throw it, that wouldn't be fair if i got a if I got a terrible score, they might think it was Mr Campbell's score written down whereas if i did if I did it over three times, I would get a score which re- reflected upon. My actual ability, and therefore, I would I would have the correct strengths and weaknesses. So our limitations—that's us done four benefits. Now, obviously, there are way more than just four benefits of um, standardised fitness testing. And if you want to know what any of the, those are, then you're able to access um, our, our PowerPoint slides, which are both of our higher teams pages. But we've picked out four which we think. And um, four benefits and four limitations for each of our methods of collection we're going to speak through today that we think are maybe the easiest for you to talk about. You might not think that's the case and that's absolutely fine if you want to pick a different benefit or limitation. But as I said we're moving on to our, our limitations. So um, the first limitation could be that there is a fault with the equipment. So, I'm pretty sure everybody that's um, listened to this podcast experienced the old Queen Margaret Academy and the equipment that we had at the old Queen Margaret Academy. So I remember the sit and reach box that we had um, and it was falling to pieces. So often when we were um, carrying out this sit and reach test, your feet would actually go further than they were supposed to. So that would mean that you could get, you could get you you weren't getting as good a score as you might have done if you were using a proper um, sit and reach box. Or if you medicine, remember the medicine balls at the old school, a lot of them had leaked, so that actually meant that they were lighter than what you thought. So when you went to throw the medicine ball, you could throw it further. So if it was supposed to be a 10 kilogram medicine ball, because it leaked, it had lost a lot of the weight within the medicine ball you would throw, within the medicine ball you were maybe throwing an eight kilogram medicine ball. Therefore you could get a better score and that wouldn't reflect your weaknesses and therefore you could not set a correct PDP.
0: So another limitation of the standardized fitness tests could be if the tests are carried out differently, scores cannot be compared. So if the conditions aren't exactly the same, um, they cannot be used as comparison because it's not going to be a true reflection on your performance. So, for example, if you're completing the Illinois Agility Test and you mark out the area differently, so you don't put three point three meters between each cone, make it larger or smaller, your time's going to be different, and that's going to affect the score that you get, and therefore that could, uh have an an impact positively or negatively on, um, the next set of tests, which would create false data. So. I'm I'm looking at this next one and I'm
1: laughing because the next limitation is that people might not be honest when writing down their scores. Now, that might seem a bit silly, but I know what I'm like and I'm really competitive. And if Mr. Campbell and I were doing one of these tests together, I would not want him to beat me. So if we were doing something like the, the max bench press, even though I'm pretty sure Mr. Campbell can lift more than me, I might not write down um, my real score. Okay, And if I don't write down my real score... That means that my data is not accurate. If I pretend that I could lift 20 kilograms more than I actually can for the bench press, that makes sure that my bench press is a a strength of mine when it's really a weakness. It's something that I need to work on. So that's another limitation
0: that people have to be honest as they write down their scores. A final limitation of the standardized fitness test is that people may not know how to perform the test correctly. If you can't perform the test correctly, then you may have an amazing score. Your score may be really poor. So for a good example of this is in the medicine ball throw, a lot of people, when we're testing the power in our arms, a lot of people use their full body, um, to launch the ball as far as they can go. Um, this is obviously the incorrect way to perform the test, and therefore you're going to get incorrect results, like Mister Oates uh, mentioned to it earlier. <laughs>
1: Okay, doc. So that that's that's standardized fitness test, and that's us um gone through four benefits, four limitations. But as I said, there's lots and lots more um on the slides on, on Microsoft Teams. Um, the next method, the data collection that we're going to speak through, but actually it's actually two separate methods of data collection because obviously we use whole game observation schedule and we're working on a uh, volleyball, but we use the general observation schedule when we're working in badminton. But the benefits and limitations are the same, so we kind of group these together here. Um just so that we're not speaking for too long, you don't get too bored listening to us. But I think Mr. Campbell's gonna give us again a brief description um about how to how to carry out the whole game
0: observation schedule. So for the whole game observation schedule, the first thing that we did um is we were put into four equal teams. So the ability levels were all spread about the class, equal ability levels. Two teams were playing against each other and two teams were sitting off. Each person who was sitting off had a specific person on the other team who they would watch and mark the performance on the sheet that were given. The sheet consisted of a table with five columns, one for the skill, one for the number of times performed, effective or ineffective, percentage success ratio and related aspect of fitness. Every time a player played one of the shots, the person marking would put a tally mark in an appropriate column and then either a plus or a minus depending on if they felt the shot was effective or ineffective. The game was played. Um, to 25 points as a 6v6 game. Once this had been completed, uh, we changed rules so everyone was marked and everyone had been marked. At the end, we took our sheets and we worked out a percentage success ratio, which gave us our strengths and strengths and weaknesses. To do this, we took the number of effective shots, so all the pluses, and divided it by the total number of times it was performed and then multiplied it by 100. We then looked at the related aspect of fitness, which lets us see what aspect of fitness we need to develop um, to perform the shot better. This was then used to back up results from our standardized fitness test, which we've just um, spoken through.
1: Excellent. So again, that's lots of really good information. So if you get a described question, but we also want to think about um, explain, evaluate and analyze. So the first benefit I'd like to talk about for all whole game observation schedule, general observation schedule, is that it's easy to set up and carry out. So from the description you just heard, you don't need any specialized equipment if you have got um, a volleyball a volleyball court, a volleyball, and you've got people to to, um, to watch you at the side as you're performing, you can carry out this test um, and you should be able to get accurate data on your shots so you can see what, is, what, what are your strengths and what are your
0: weaknesses. Another benefit of the whole game observation schedule is that it is easy numerical information, so it's simple to interpret, it gives you your strengths and weaknesses. So as it's put into a percentage form, you can see that your strength is going to be the highest percentage and the lowest percentage will be your weakness, so your area, area of development.
1: Um, next one is the same as the standardized fitness testing. that is a hard copy. Because we're writing down all of our scores, again, it comes with a date, so I can do a whole game observation schedule at the beginning, middle and end of my um, training program. And like Mr. Campbell just said, if if I've used the numerical information at the start, I don't know. Game of if I see that my spike is zero percent successful. If I see if that's improved halfway through, week three to twenty five percent, and by by week six, then my PDP uh, is now at fifty percent. I can see that it's been successful. It motivate me to keep training. If that percentage success ratio is not improving, I know I need to make changes to my PDP. I
0: think the final um, benefit of the whole game observation schedule the general observation schedule is that it can be played to 25 points, so this increases the validity. It means that everyone's getting a chance to perform a variety of different shots, you're seeing the full skill repertoire and um, the people at the side have got a chance to mark them fully.
1: Exactly, so if I think about when I play volleyball, um, if you just marked me in my first 10, 10 points of the game, I'm, I'm a bit of a slow starter. I might not make a great start. That's not a fair reflection in my performance. So, it's important to play up to 25 points. And for badminton, for the general observation schedule, it's important that you play that up to 21 points. So, limitations of the whole game observation schedule, general observation schedule. It is subjective, okay? So, if the scores and shots were were successful and unsuccessful. So, if Mr Campbell was my partner and he was watching me perform and I... I volley the ball up and um, set it up to my partner he needs to make a decision if he thinks that was, that was successful or unsuccessful now he might deem my volley to be unsuccessful whereas somebody more experienced in volleyball might deem it to be successful and um, it's a matter of opinion therefore therefore um because it's subjective because it's one person's opinion what's what is successful and unsuccessful? The information may not be accurate, and therefore you might focus on the wrong
0: weakness in your PDP. Um, another limitation to this is not all shots were on the observation schedule. So in volleyball, um, we don't have the tip at all. If you, the person marking you, sees this in the game, they might put this down as a different shot. And uh, you're not getting a true reflection of your full performance. Or in badminton, you could have the forehand drive, and. Um, it's not in the sheet either, so it's not giving a true reflection of your performance. doke.
1: Okay, okay. So, um, the next, the next limitation would be the person marking you may not have experience of the sport. So. As many of you are aware, that in the higher class, some of you have not played very much volleyball, um. Therefore, you may you may not have a lot of knowledge of the sport, and if you don't have a lot of knowledge of the sport, and you're asked to to mark uh, how effective somebody's spike was, how effective somebody's serve was, you might be making a decision on something that you're not aware of, or you might not even know what every shot is um, that is on the sheet. If we had a whole game observation schedule sheet that said uh, the pancake, some of you might, I mean, the sheet doesn't say the pancake, but if it does, some of you might not know what the pancake is. Therefore, you wouldn't be able to to mark when that shot was played and how
0: effective that shot was. The final limitation we're going to speak about today is... The person marking you may become distracted. For example, we've witnessed it many times. People are speaking about you're sitting at the side of the, the court, and people are speaking about um, the football that was on some drama that's happening in the class. You get distracted, and this means that you might miss some either effective or ineffective shots, and therefore the information that you get from your data collection is going to be false or inaccurate.
1: I think, and you know, this is a, a separate limitation, but I think that if you think about the general observation schedule in particular badminton is such a fast-paced sport that it can be difficult to mark the sheet and keep up with what's happening in the court at some, some of the times and you might just miss that and therefore the data that you have collected for your partner is inaccurate and it is more difficult for them to set an effective PDP so um, the next um, method that we're going to move on to is the specific observation schedule. So Mr. Campbell's just going to give us again a description of how to carry out a specific
0: observation schedule. So this specific observation schedule is for badminton and it's looking at the overhead clear. So for the specific observation schedule um, we would get into threes so we'd have two people performing and one person marking. Now the person marking would be focusing on one person performing. When we're looking at the overhead clear um, One partner would be feeding the shuttle to the partner who is then going to perform the overhead clear until they get enough data. So on the actual sheet, in the observation schedule, specific observation schedule, we have five different columns. The first column is the phase of action. So we look at the preparation, action and recovery phase. The second column is the features of a model performer. So we're looking at all the subroutines. An example of some of the subroutines from the preparation stage would be um the performer starts from base in the action phase, the impact uh, is with the open racket face above racket shoulder, and the recovery phase is the racket comes down and across the body in recovery phase. Now we would complete um this assessment before.
1: Right before before the um pdp began um and then we'll complete this halfway through in the end of the training program but obviously when you are describing your data collection you're focusing on that initial assessment with the goal with the initial assessment at the bottom of the sheet there is a a part where you can write down the strongest phase your strongest subroutine your weakest phase and your weakest subroutine so Really, you would carry out the specific observation schedule after you carry out the general observation schedule because the general observation schedule is going to show you what your weakest shot is in badminton. And then when you find out what your weakest shot is, so if it's overhead clear, you would pick up a specific observation schedule on the overhead clear. If your weakest shot was the drop shot, you would pick up a a specific observation schedule on the drop shot. So you're now finding out what is is wrong with that shot. So if my weakest shot was, was overhead clear, what subroutine is making it um what subroutine is making it my weakest shot or which um, phase of action is making it my weakest shot. Is it the preparation, is it the action, is it the recovery? So we're looking deep at the shots with the specific observation schedule. So we now think about again the benefits and limitations of um the specific observation schedule. A lot of these do repeat and that's great for you because if you can remember these things that keep on coming up again and again it's easier for you when you get into an exam so um the the first benefit is the same as the first benefit for the whole game the first benefit for the standardized fitness test and that is that it's easy to set up and easy to carry out so once again we don't need any specialized equipment for this, we just need a badminton court, a racket, and a shuttle, and a group of three: one person feeding, one person observing, and one person uh, yourself performing. Um, and because of that, because it's easy to say, because it's it, it's easy to carry out, you're not taking a lot of time out your training, and you're also getting accurate data that you can you can set an effective PDP from.
0: Again, another benefit, um, similar similarly to the standardized fitness tests is that it gives you clear strengths and weaknesses because the data is quantitative. So you can see um, clearly using the ticks and crosses that what's your strongest phase, what's your strongest subroutine and your weakest phase and weakest subroutine. And this means that you can easily set up a personal development programme or a skill development programme that's suited to your needs.
1: Yep. And again, the third benefit is the exact same as um, the previous methods of data collection. It's, it's a hard copy that can be used for comparison. So again, you've, you have the sheet, you have the date in the sheet telling you when you carried it out so you can see at what point in your PDP it was carried out and you can make that comparison through the ticks and crosses um, that Mr. Camel mentioned. So if I was doing overhead clear and the first time round, um, if I think about it, back, the back shoulder drops, Say I had four crosses and four ticks in that um, in my initial assessment. When I looked at my halfway through training program assessment and I had increased that to um, six ticks and two crosses, I can see that I've made an improvement and this will
0: motivate me to keep training. So the final benefit is that we we perform at least eight shots um, at each subroutine to increase the validity of um, the data. So by doing this, it means that we're getting a lot. It's a lot
1: more accurate data, isn't it? So if I was to um, perform no clear, just maybe, maybe once for each subroutine um, and my partner was marking me, I might have just made it a mistake that one time, but when I perform a shot, Eight times, and I'm watched simply on one subroutine. I'll use the same example I used in the previous benefit, so that my back shoulder drops. I may have not done that once, but if I haven't done that six times over the eight, then we know that that's a weakness, and we know that that's something that we've got to focus on on our PDP. So let's move on to the to the limitations. So, um, the first limitation. Is it subjective if the scores, um, shots were successful and unsuccessful? So just like with the whole game and general observation schedule, this is just the person that's watching you's opinion. Uh, if if you performed, um, if you performed the sub subroutine correctly or not, and their opinion um, may differ from yours, and therefore the accurate you, co- you the, the data that you um, collect may not be accurate, and you're not setting an effective PDP from it.
0: Another reason uh, why it could be seen as a limitation is that the person marking may be distracted. Uh, if they're distracted, then you're going to have to perform the shot again and again and again, which means you be- could become more tired and therefore you're likely to make more mistakes or not and perform each phase of action properly or each subroutine. Another, if you're getting distracted, it could also make the data invalid and they might just put a tick or a cross in where something was actually the opposite way around.
1: Um, the next limitation is that is something that I hear complaints from my, from pupils in my class all the time. so if we're focusing on overhead clear and you need your partner you need your partner to be able to um high serve for you for you to perform overhead clear um now <laughs> I'll, I'll hear Mr Oates they can't serve properly Mr Oates, their serves are rubbish you need eighty high serves that allow you to perform the shot now. If you're with a partner that can't high serve, they can't get the shuttle to the tram lines at the back, which will allow you to play an overhead clear, then you don't get the opportunity to perform your overhead clear um, as well as you can because you're trying to squeeze it into a low serve, which you wouldn't... That's not natural in a game. That's not what you would normally play. So you can't perform the full technique. Therefore, it's more difficult for this assessment to be carried out. Um, Therefore... Your data may be inaccurate because you're having to manipulate yourself into playing overhead clear. Your The person that's observing you isn't able to observe the sub- routines correctly and you could focus on the wrong thing
0: on your PDP. And the final limitation um, for the specific observation schedule is that you may become tired because you've played the shot so many times. They are are a number of different... 14, 14 times 8, how many is that, Mr. 14 Campbell? different 17s, <laughs> 96, 96, 96 overhead clears, i would be shattered. 96 overhead clears, so it's going to take a lot of energy, a lot of concentration um, for you to, to focus and perform and be thinking about um, performing under pressure constantly, it's going to be very difficult, so you are going to become tired and um, it, might, it might have an impact on your results.
1: Okay, so now we're going to move on to look at our um, emotional, social, and mental methods of data collection. So they're teacher coach feedback and questionnaires. And it's important to remember that when you're answering a question, so if the question in the exam asks you to focus to focus on an emotional um, method of data collection, social method of data collection, mental and emotional data collection, that you make that specific so even though we're using these same methods, you need to tailor that. So I think Mr. Campbell's gonna give you um a description and he, he can speak a little bit um more about that and how, how you would um tailor these to whichever factor you were being asked about.
0: So the mental, emotional and social and um, teacher coach feedback are all very similar, minus the factors or the sub factors that are on the sheet. So the first thing that you'll do um, for the teacher coach, teacher coach feedback is that your teacher, so myself or Mr. Oakes, we'll just watch you participate in your activity um, repeatedly over and over again for a number of weeks or a number of ses- sessions. We will then identify sub factors that we feel are your strengths and your areas for development. Uh, we will look at these closely and then we will take you to this decide and have a discussion about why these are your areas for development, why they're your strengths. So if we just take for example, some of the emotional factors that we look at, we look at happiness and sadness. So how's that affecting confidence, your resilience, eh, anger, how's that affecting decision-making, hostility, frustration, and we look at trust. So how it's affecting your mutual respect, responsibilities, and we look at surprise and fear as well. So once myself and Mr. Oates have given you um, had a wee discussion with you, giving you some feedback on your strengths and areas for development, you then go away um, to a quiet place, maybe the side of the court or into another room, and you're going to fill out exactly what we discussed. So you're going to fill out um, two different strengths, and really importantly, why they were a strength. You're then going to fill out two areas for the development and why they were areas for development. You're going to use these strengths and areas for development, most of the areas of development, to then inform um, the approach that you use.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, a lot of the times people in my class have noticed that they they struggle um, with teacher coach feedback to come up with four effective points of description to to attain full marks and um, to obtain full marks. And a, a question that asks them to describe teacher coach feedback. So if they are struggling, they could also um, describe the sheet that they're using. So describe everything that Mister Campbell just said, but also describe the sheet. So the box at the top. With the the sub factors in it, then the the area f- that you write your strengths in, and and make sure that you say that there there's space um, and you can write exactly what your teacher said for for one sub factor space for the second sub factor the areas for development enough space with lines and then, um the second sub factor is your weakness with enough space that you can write exactly what your teacher has said. So if we think about the benefits and limitations, the benefit is the same. Um, as our previous methods and that is it as a hard copy so again we've got the date in that sheet and we have got space that you've written down exactly what your teacher said so now you've taken that verbal information and you have um written it down created a hard copy that you're able to look back at any time and you can use this for a comparison so when you do teacher coach feedback again you can see the differences in the comments that your teacher has
0: said and this will allow you to know if your PDP is being effective or not it's also a very reliable um, form of data collection as it comes from an expert. So myself and Mr Oates, experts in every sport, um, we'd, be able to, we'd be able to give you um, really good feedback about all the different factors that impact your performance in any sport, but especially um, in badminton. So we think about, as well, we
1: want to make our data as accurate as possible. Um, and the fact that you are writing down um, your feedback straight away after your teacher's given it so the second i've pulled one of the pupils um off the court in my class and i've given them um their feedback they're going away and they're writing that down straight away so that's fresh in their mind and that means that it's more likely to be accurate um and then it's therefore you're you're able to set effective pdp
0: from it because you know your data is correct so teacher coach feedback is completed over a long duration of time and this makes the feedback more reliable so myself and mr oates don't just watch you for five minutes. We watch you over a number of sessions, a number of different periods, and we make an informed judgment on um, your physical, uh, your, sorry, your emotional, mental and social um, factors. Okay, doke. So move on to the
1: limitations.
0: Um, so this is a limitation
1: that I actually experienced in my higher class this year. I gave a pupil um, what I thought were their strengths and areas of development for their performance, and they didn't agree with me. They said, you know what, Mister Rose, I don't think that is an area from of my development. I actually think that's a strength. Um the issue with that is that, as an opinion, um, and as much again, one of our benefits was that it's from an expert. If you didn't agree, if you don't agree with your teacher, and this happens sometimes, if you don't agree with your teacher, or your coach that's giving you this feedback, um, and I've said, oh, you know, this is your weakness. Uh, you need to do this to try to improve your weakness. You might not fully commit to your training. If you don't actually believe that it's your weakness, if you think it's your strength, and I'm telling you, oh no, you need to do this to try to improve, you may not commit to it and therefore you'll be less likely to
0: improve. Another limitation of teacher-coach feedback is that the information is given verbally and may be forgotten before it's written down. So when myself and Mr. Oates give you this feedback, you may forget it. The next limitation is
1: that it's difficult to compare qualitative information. So... If you think about quantitative information, it's really easy to make a comparison with that. If you look at your score that you got in your sit and reach test and you saw that the first time that you did it, you got a score of three. The second time you did it, you got a score of five. This shows you you've made an improvement. But it's a lot more difficult with qualitative information. So qualitative information um, and teacher-coach feedback, it's just worse. It's just things that your teacher has said to you. So if I've described um, your decision-making, if it was your mental teacher-coach feedback, if I described your decision-making and effective decisions that I believe that you made in court or ineffective decisions I believe that you made in court and then I did the same six weeks later, it can be difficult to make a comparison there to show an improvement. Therefore,
0: it is a lot more difficult to see if your PDP has been successful or not. So a final limitation of teacher-coach feedback is that it's difficult for your teacher to see what's going, going on inside your head. So myself and Mr. Oates can make informed decisions um, based on your body language, based on your facial expressions or the type of shot you play, but we don't really know what's going on inside your head. We can't really see um, all the time if you're angry or if you're scared, if you've got fear, um, if you're surprised. And therefore, that might have a negative or a positive impact on your results.
1: Um, so next we're going to move on to uh, questionnaires. So again, this can be for emotional, social or mental. And Mr. Campbell is
0: going to give us um, an answer to a described question for one of these. So again, I'll just speak through this as if I was completing the questionnaire sheet. So in order to complete the questionnaire, I took a questionnaire sheet after training and sat at the side of the hall to complete it. The sheet had 15 statements such as, I struggle to stay calm and think clearly under pressure and I perform better in practice or less important situations. I had to carefully read each of these statements and give myself a rating of one to five. One meaning I never feel the way the statement is describing and five is I often feel the way the statement is describing. After completing my rating for each statement, I added all my scores together and then used my overall score and compared it to the scoring key. The lower the score is, the better I'm dealing with my emotional factors.
1: So that was a really good description for um, an emotional questionnaire question. But again, you could be asked to describe uh, questionnaires for social or for mental. So it's just about changing uh, those sub factors, changing those statements uh, within the questionnaire. But the benefits and limitations, they remain the same. So again, the first benefit we're looking at is that is it is easy to set up and carry out. So this really doesn't take a lot of time out of your training. Uh, to fill in the questionnaire, it only takes about five minutes. and um, Therefore, you're not missing out a lot of your training. There's no specialised equipment because it's just a sheet uh, with statements written on it that you're making a judgement against. Um, therefore, you're more likely to be accurate with the data
0: that you've collected. And therefore, you're more likely to set an effective PDP. It also clearly identifies your strengths and weaknesses, um, as it is numerical information. So you know that the lower in um, the scoring key, um, the more of a strength it is. The higher on the scoring key yard, if it's closer to five, then um, <clears throat> the more it's going to be an area for development. And again, the next benefit is something that was spoken
1: about in every method of data collection so far. Is it is a hard copy which can be used for comparison. So you you um, you keep that the questionnaire sheet and it's got the column for um, before PDP and you've got the column for after PDP and you're able to, to see your improvements as it is written down um, and you're able to make a comparison between the score that you got before to see if your score has improved by getting lower or you have not made improvements and this will show you if your PDP has
0: been working or not Furthermore you can compare your scores to national averages um, which means that you're able to see if you're performing above average, average, poor um, or good compared to other people your age. And you can see if it is a real strength for area for development.
1: And that's what the scoring key at the bottom of the sheet really shows you, um, the questionnaires, and you're able to make that direct comparison to see if it's a strength or weakness. So we're moving on to limitations. So the limitation of this is that there's no in-depth feedback available. So you are... Um, scoring yourself against these statements, but you just have to put a number down about how you how you believe you compare to that statement. You're not not able to make any kind of additional comment. So you might think, oh, you know, th- this is the number I would give myself. But I want to say more about that. I want to say more how I feel about that. You're not given that opportunity. Therefore, there's a limitation to the data that you collect here, and it doesn't. It may not show effectively what your strengths and weaknesses are and therefore you're
0: not as likely to set a specific PDP. Another limitation to the questionnaires is that it is less reliable due to the small scale. So the scale only goes from 1 to 5, which is a very small rating. If it went from, say, 1 to 100, you'd maybe give a more accurate representation of how exactly you feel, whereas 1 to 5 um, is a very small scale and it can be hard to represent how you feel in that small scale. Um,
1: the next the next limitation is it's easily easy to be biased um and I know I'm guilty of this i think i'm brilliant at everything so if i was filling in a questionnaire i could just go 1 1 1 1 1 give myself the best score possible for everything and say i deal with my um emotional social and mental um sub factors uh, brilliantly but that's not reality that's not true so you have to be able to be reflective you have to be able to um truly evaluate yourself um otherwise your your scores won't be accurate, you won't set an effective PDP or you won't see improvements that you made effectively. If you the first time you do it do it properly, but they think, Oh goodness, Mr. Calamisterosis is expecting me to make an improvement here, so the second time you fill it in, you just make your scores better but that's not a reflection of your performance. Therefore you are not evaluating um you're not evaluating you're not comparing your scores effectively to see if your PDP has worked.
0: A final limitation of the questionnaires is that the statements can be very confusing. There are a lot of double negatives um, throughout the statements and it means that people can get confused and therefore they may be putting a one down whereas it would actually be a five because the double negative are getting confused and then this would have a knock-on effect on their final score which would then um, inform their PDP wrongly.
1: Brilliant. So that's us reached... um the end of our podcast on data collection. We will be making more podcasts. I imagine the next one that we'll make um, are probably on our approaches to improve performance, but we want to do that once you've experienced all those different approaches, and we're just moving on to our volleyball plot now. So that's probably, that'll be soon coming up. But um, again, this was to help you for tests, to help you for exams, and we hope that, we hope that it's been useful and we hope that um, you'll continue to listen to our, our future podcasts when we talk about approaches, we talk about methods of monitoring, and we talk about the mandatory information
0: um, within the higher course. Yep, excellently summed up, Mr Oates. Thanks very much. <laughs> Have a great day, everyone. Cheers. Thank you.